It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. crime and horror anthology show. Stories about people caught in desperate times and only have one way out. I'm sure you're wondering why you received this tape from a random stranger. But is it really random? Am I really a stranger? Or are we connected in some way to a web of lies and deceit, possibly murder? You see, I hear things, see things. I know everything. To protect myself, I need these stories to be told. I hid her from everyone. Diana squeezed the old woman's hand. Her mouth widened, corners perked up. She glanced around the room and leaned over the bed, whispered, Where did you hide it, Grandma? Not it. Her. I hid her from everyone. She moved her hand away, rubbed it with the other. Dark purple veins looped over tendons, pushing up through paper-thin wrinkles. You think I'm addled. How is she? She fell asleep again. She was out of her mind earlier. Tell me she's done talking about wedding cakes and yard tools. She was saying something like, I hit her from everyone. Give me your purse, I want some gum. Jesus fucking Christ, give me my purse back. Do you have to chew gum right now? That again, huh? Your Aunt Macy had a kid when she was your age. Mom put her up for adoption. No way! Like the... You mean your fucking old people jokes. Late 70s, teen pregnancies back then. God, fuck, you'd think the poor girls were Satan incarnate the way everyone acted. It's kind of still like that, Mom. 
Well, that's true, huh? But deformities are still seen as signs of evil and wrongdoing. Curses and all that bullshit. Now deformed children are loved. Special little motherfuckers. And bullied. You know what I mean. Loved by their parents. No one is publicly shunning their kids because they're fucked up. If anything, fucked up kids get more love and attention. Until they go to school. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I have to go. Don't forget, I need your help with decorations. Jack-o'-lanterns, music, and hand out the bowls of candy. I got it. Don't look like that. You're going out. You expect me to get dressed up, do all the decorating and shit, all for a bunch of spoiled, whiny little nose miners in princess outfits. Yes, and they're adorable. Take some pictures for me. Sure, then you'll get to see their ruined makeup. After the boys too old for trick-or-treating steal their candy and show up on our doorstep with their Halloweenies. So, wait. So, there's like, I have a cousin out there somewhere that's deformed? Yes, maybe. Shit, who knows? She may be dead. She? It was a girl? With, like, what kind of deformity? I don't know. A bad one is all I know. She's a devil bad? (laughs) I guess so. Oh, your uncle will be there. Well, yeah, I figured that. Be nice. Aren't I always? Nope. Donna took the gun from her mouth and threw it after her, then yelped, a cold hand clamping down on her wrist. I hid her from everyone. Your mother... I tried. She wouldn't believe me. You were awake? You scared the shit out of me. Her chest knocked, face drained of color. Grandma Catrique's voice, dry and cracking with high tones, rose clear and sturdy, the matriarch of old. Listen to me. Her grip tightened. She lifted her head. Bags puffed out beneath her eyes. Dinah patted the hand locked on her arm. Concern softened her words. You have to decorate the tree by the pond. She squeezed. The hands, you see. Lay down again. They must be perfect. Grandma, all right. I'll put some hands on the tree, just like you used to. Not just any hands. Perfect ones. Lifelike. Like yours. Or Libby. She'll... You must promise me. The imploring drained the authority from her voice, the strength from her grip. A moan escaped from under an arm raised to shield her weeping face. Dinah felt her pulse on her breaths. Okay, I'm seriously done here. Licking her lips, she wiped damp palms on her jeans and darted from the chair. Bumped into a shelf. A figurine crashed to the floor. Dinah stepped back and crunched down on it. She looked down and saw porcelain fingers sticking out from beneath her boot. grinned at her Uncle Taylor, moved in front of him and turned the volume down. Pulling on his mustache, Taylor watched the light bars on the stereo equalizer, 
blinking as the recording pleaded for help. Sounds real, huh? Just like there's someone really bleeding to death in Grandma's garage. He waited for her to finish speaking, started pulling at his mustache again. Oh my god, this is so awesome. Frightened, squealing and laughing children turned into the long, curving driveway. Dinah picked up a bowl of candy and shook it. Coming? She said, walking around the table and chairs set up in front of the garage. Taylor's stomach rose and fell. He turned without a word and retrieved his candy bowl, followed his niece, past rows of glowing pumpkins to meet the group. I saw these tiny packages of salad and almost got a cartful to hand out with the other junk. Dinah said to a lady with a green face and a black witch outfit, handing butterfingers to the kids in front of her. A three-foot SpongeBob accepted it with his head down, a scrape of his toe on the concrete. The other kid, a boy dressed as a blue cupcake with a matching blue handlebar mustache, snatched the candy bar from her hand with a triumphant growl. He tore it open and stuffed the entire thing in his mouth. Adam, no! My goodness, I'm sorry, the witch said, black nails clinging to the boy's cupcake. Maybe a fun-sized salad is what he needs. No salad! <laughs> Adam growled and swatted at the bowl. Dinah held the bowl up and stuck her tongue out. Eh, uh, I knew it would be a tough sell. It would be the end of trick-or-treating as we know it. You want to ruin Halloween, Adam? No, no salad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think you're right, dude. The candy corporations wouldn't allow it. Probably buy the salad companies just to stop it. SpongeBob turned back and forth, watching the adults. Taylor leaned away from the kids, still pulling on his mustache. A larger group approached. A wizard, an elf, towering over a handful of goblins. The witch's green face turned to Dinah and rolled her eyes when she saw who the wizard was. Dinah gave her a questioning look. The witch shrugged Good luck with that. and shoot her kids down the drive. How many do we get? The wizard said. He took the butterfinger from Dinah then helped himself to Taylor's bowl of Snickers. Dinah shook her head. They get one each. Put those back, please. She pasted on a sweet smile for the goblins. A little girl with orange-striped pigtails had trouble keeping her mask straight while holding up her bag. She pulled at the rubber mask and bumped into the elf behind her. Dropped her bag, candy scattered. Look at the little dummy. <laughs> the wizard pointed. The other goblins laughed with him. Don't be an asshole, Ryan. The elf took earbuds from her huge ears and picked up the mess. The little girl stood crying, tiny hands wringing the mask. Dinah took a picture, pocketed her phone, smiling. The wizard stared at her. She ignored him and told the elf, Okay, this one gets two because she's so adorable. Aw, here. She motioned for Tyler to give the distraught goblin a sneakers. Happy Halloween! <laughs> now get out. She wasn't going to read the text. Then ringtones sounded from the elfin wizard. The stirrings of doubt made Dinah pull the phone from her back pocket. It's an amber alert. The elf's nose was visible through the fake one attached over it. Bright screen of her enormous phone exposing it. A 12-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl from... That's my street. 
The goblins start moving their plastic bags, costumes freezing. A few houses down, a phone rang. People walking out into the street, shouting for kids to go home. Jenny, Bobby, get home now! I knew I heard sirens. The wizard said. He unwrapped a Snickers. Couldn't have been you, fucktard. Leave. Diamond took a step toward him without thinking, phone drawn back to strike. The elf huddled the goblins and shot an apologetic glance over her shoulder. Let's go. The wizard flicked his wrapper at Taylor and followed, dropping his head as he passed down his glare. Donna couldn't relax, pinched the bridge of her nose. I wanted Halloween to end quickly, but not like, not like this. <laughs> Taylor? She bumped her uncle's elbow with the bowl. His back to her, he yanked on his mustache and watched the stereo lights pump. Uh, Uncle Taylor? She knew. She knew somehow she knew it was connected. She ran. Light from the back porch glistened on the wet grass. Shoes soaked. By the time she reached the pond, the tree was on the other side. A huge sycamore with low hanging branches, thick, black, tangled mass with the moon behind it. Dinah slipped on the path next to the water, nearly splashing in. Dirt on her hands, grass on her knees. Uh, now I'm really soaked. Shoving to her feet, she marched along the path, wary of the waterline, and the tall grass she knew harbored snakes. Patterns of small branches ran over her, growing larger as she drew nearer the sycamore, shrouded in total darkness at its base. I promised and forgot. Fucked hard. The hay figurines hit against her legs. She rolled the Walgreens bag tight and stepped over the roots. Hand sliding over the bark of the trunk. The icky tickle of a spider web stretched over her face, and she squeaked and fell, ankle catching it bad between roots. The base of the sycamore met her lower back with a protruding knot. She hid and jerked away, sucking in a breath. The shock to her spine stole the mobility of her legs, heels of her boots sliding over the ground without purchase. Moving off the knot, she lay there holding in a scream. Not from the pain flaring from her ankle or the bruise spreading from her spine. Her new phone was crushed. $500 piece of trash! She smushed her lips between thumb and fingers. She had never been so mad at herself. Pulling the device from her pocket took effort. Her fingers traced over the busted case. As she held it close to her face, the screen came on. Full brightness, a kaleidoscope of colors swirling out from the point of impact. She shined it round where she sat. Dead leaves covered hard dirt. 
a few feet away, the leaves were dark. She swept the light as far as she could in both directions, back to the dark spot, pushed to her feet, a tentative step, found her confidence, and walked over to investigate. What is that? Large, dry leaves crunched, silencing crickets, a breeze cutting through it, shaking the branches overhead. She started to squat and lower the light. Deep in the woods, behind the sycamore, the scream started. High, shrill, the fear in it put an acidic taste in Donna's mouth. The tortuous shriek, it transitioned to turning her spine to water. She pressed the phone to her stomach, strained to see the line of trees across the tall grass. Oh, I knew it. God damn, I'm too late. Blinking, fumbling the phone, she wiped her eyes and shined the light on her arm. A scattering of thick, red drops ran across her forearm and up her sleeve. Turning, disoriented, branches under strain of the wind lashed her with leaves, bringing the phone up as a shield. Dinah rocked back from a heavy limb. She thought her heart would explode when the light showed it to the two bloody stumps of hands whipping down at her. Teeth cutting into her lip, couldn't stop her mouth from stretching wide. Her scream tore through the distance, wavering, tears welling with a gasp to renew it. A sharp blow to her skull silenced the fear. It was the face of a boy, much younger than her. Why is he scared? She said, though couldn't hear her own words. A moment later, she knew his terror as her own. She remembered. She couldn't move, hands tied together on the side of a small tree, head strapped to a cheekbone sticking to pine bark. Less than a foot away, the boy faced her, similarly bound, arms pulled tight around a small pine. His hands were out of sight. She knew they were in the woods. It was too dark to tell much else. The wind was picking up, a sea of mist passing above the treetops, blending into elongated clouds. Both of Dinah's ears hurt. Excruciating pain. Her left from her head pressed against the bark. Her right. Someone hit her, she knew. It had a pulse. Her head swam with it. Bruce did, her back spasmed. Her legs shook as she tried to stand and ease the tension. The bark ripped at her flesh around her eye. She pushed up on calves that burned with cold trembles. The back of her throat felt gashed. Dry breaths coming fast. She felt herself losing consciousness, fighting it. Spit hit her and she flinched awake. The boy's shout, warm then cool, saliva continuing to coat her eyes. Through the deafness, she felt his roaring gasps. A wrenching twist of cartilage popped through the tree trunk and, and she stopped running. A dim smear of moon shined on the boy. He fared, his neck ballooned out from beneath an old strip of linen. The rest of him was a tense darkness in her peripheral. The whip tearing and his mouth went slack. Full body spasms scraping his binds over the hard bark. The sight of his face, the sound of his death throes, the intimate experience of murder, Shredded what little hope she, she retained. The boy's arms fell loose and his head slipped the loop. 
dead weight bumped the ground. Dinah strained to see his hands. The one by his side was wound in cloth. The other was missing. Pine straw absorbed the remainder of his life, the trail oozing from the stump as his convulsing body was dragged out of her line of sight. The woman walked in a crouch, a strange gift to her knees that compressed the twigs and pine cones underfoot without breaking them. Dinah's cheek opened up, cloth holding her head, resisting her effort to see. The woman held a stick, stabbing it at something in her armpit. Dark, ratty hair fell to below her breasts, shifting in a flannel shirt she wore like an apron. Dinah's cousin gave a terrible screech and darted over the straw. The end of the stick jabbed into her shoulder. Dinah lost her next word, screaming, spittle, ejected, before her lips snapped closed. Libby struck again, snatched it loose, and took aim. The boy's hand hit the ground and picked up leaves rolling between her feet. Dinah saw it and started yanking at her ties again. Moldy roadkill lowered itself with a growl and stabbed the hand clean with a sharpened stick. Her toenails and toes were one mass, two little battering rams sticking out of a new pair of jeans. Her flannel was stained with gore, worn backwards like an apron. Her shoulders hunched and bubbles popped in her open mouth. She held the boy's hands under an arm and stabbed at the stump, dark clumped tendrils of hair shaking from a huge head. Dinah saw that where the hand should be was only a protrusion, like a single large knuckle in front of the wrist. A sharpened broom handle was above it, tied to her forearm. She tried to force the nub of her arm into the base of the hand. Libby lost her hold and dropped it again. She looked over at Dinah. Her leg appeared to twitch. The hand poked beneath her battering ramp foot as she moved toward Dinah. Mold and roadkill stink brushed past out of sight. Libby grabbed something off the ground and returned to stand in front of Dinah. She slipped a black drinking cup over her right forearm. A large fork was buried in the bottom of it. Broom handle on the left. She worked it under the binding on Dinah's wrist. Screaming realization. Her second, much louder scream, one of pain. Bubbles popped on Libby's teeth. Her shoulders twisted toward the ground and Dinah's wrist broke. Popping bubbles became a burping chitter, squealing as she vanished. The pain, the smell, bile burned its way up and out of her nose. Eyes roving under dark eyelids sought a less painful position. Dinah strained her hair through the throbbing. She recognized a sound, the thwack of Uncle Taylor's machete as he cleared a path up from the pond. She felt pressure on her numb hands and lifted her head. Wrong. Wrong, Libby. Wrong. Wrong, Libby. Wrong. Wrong, Libby. She watches them. She thinks they wear costumes to make fun of her. I told her she was just being silly. Did you see her new outfit? I got it for her. She didn't mean it. Truly. Taylor said, lining up his white blade to saw her free. He stopped sawing 
Diana started coughing. The binding popped. She crossed her arms as she fell away from the tree. He caught her. Broken hand slapping in the ham. Her eyes appeared to sink in, darkening with blood soaked from her face. Taylor picked her up, careful to keep her arms folded. Tiny hated the arms around her. Hated the gratitude she felt. Hated that she couldn't take her cheek from his shoulder and tell him to fuck off. Hated that her ass hanging below his arm was cold and she couldn't stop shaking. She spit out a piece of her tongue. It clung to her lip. Spasms made her feet kick up. Her neck locked into place. But she managed to look up and thank him with a smile. He smiled back. The machete jumped midwife through his forehead. The blades tipped leaking on her. And he continued to smile. Blur de Noir, episode 31, Libby's Hands, Pete Lutz as The Stranger, Zoe Jenkins as Narrator and Witch, Tanya Milayevich as Dinah, Sarah Late as Grandma Catrick, Nancy Bueller as Tracy, Pete Lutz as Uncle, Natalie Chisholm as Crying Girl, Atticus Jackson as Elf, D.B. Spitzer as Wizard, Wesley Critchfield as Adam, written by Chris Roy, Music by Carpenter's Notch at audionautics.com. Credit narration by Natalie Chisholm. Directed by Mark Slade. Somewhere in the lush pastures just outside the Mutual Audio Network building. Wasted away again in Medagaritaville. Lothar, give me the bottle. No. Now. No. Jack said we had to do this. For the AD community. Hey, Jan, we got your text. Hey, yeah, what's up? You said Brother Lothar needed us? Thanks, Jeff. Jack, uh... Yeah, Lothar... He's, well, really wasted. And he won't stop drinking. I think this one's going to take all three of us. Well, I know he likes his cocktails, but isn't this a bit early, even for him? And why is he singing about Mad Dog 2020? Jan, what's this about? Lothar, overheard you talking about Mad Con 2020, and, well, he misheard. Wait. Are you saying that... Yeah, he thought you said there would be three days of Mad Dog 2020, not three days of Mad Con in 2020. And he's been drinking that swill ever since. 
Getting out in the rain. Oh, let me talk to him. Thanks. I tried to tell him, but I think that stuff's already rotted what's left of his brain. Here, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> hey, brother. Hey, Jeff. You here for some Mad Dog 2020? Um, yeah, but uh, they were out at the store. Can I have a swig off yours? Of course, brother. Lothar, you shouldn't be drinking that. I'm not. <laughs> Jeff is. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, look, you heard us talking about Mad Dash Con 2020, not Mad Dog 2020. Uh, what's your bucket? Oh, 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 this stuff is almost as bad as Ripple. Mad Dash Con. The modern audio drama convention. It's the first convention of its kind. And it'll occur in 2020. A convention? Yes, yes. Producers, directors, writers, editors, composers, actors, and, and fans of audio drama are going to come from all over to Halifax, Nova Scotia for the weekend of July 24th to the 26th of 2020. We have all sorts of things scheduled. We have recording sessions and workshops, panels, and the opportunity for folks, fans, and creators alike to meet in person. www.mad-con.com. That's mad-con.com has all the details, including how to register. That's, that's a really cool idea, man. Oh, that's much better than drinking this stuff. Oh... God, I've only had three sips, and I'm not sure I can feel my face. Oh. Come on, honey, let's get you back inside. Thanks, guys. No problem, Lady Jan. We're not going to let him live this one down anytime soon, are we? Oh, I should think not. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember to listen and drink responsibly, listeners. Mad Dash Con 2020. Not to be confused with any kind of fortified wine. Oh. Yeah! 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 Yeah!